Amen. With a song like that, I'm glad I'm preaching on joy and not like meekness or silence or something like that this morning. Uh, If you're new and visiting with us this morning, whether you came with family from California uh, or you visited before but now you're back to to see what's going on here again or you're visiting with family and friends, uh, welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here this morning as we come into worship. And it's your voices and your claps that, that makes this experience help bring us uh, before the throne of God's grace to experience his presence this morning. So thanks for being here. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls Fellowship, and it's a delight to preach for you this morning as we study God's word. We are in a series titled Flourish, and the tagline for the series, Flourish. It's got to be something good, right? Bearing fruit in dry places. Uh, We're asking ourselves this question as we We study God's word to see what he would have for us. What kind of fruit does God want to bear in us in community? What kind of fruit does he want to cultivate in your life and in mine for us to share with one another, to taste and see that God is good together? And not just that, but to offer to the world around us, bearing fruit for the sake of the king and his kingdom and all those who are lost and in need of him along with ourselves. So that's what we're looking at this morning, the fruit of the Spirit. What kind of fruit does God want to bear in us? Along with the sermon series, we have a community guide, a a discussion, a study guide that's going along. And so I want to invite you to join with us in this series. And more than just coming on Sunday morning or watching from home or, or catching up during the week, participate in the conversation and ask the question with other people, what kind of fruit might God want to bear in my life, in me and through me? Uh, If you need help finding a community group, we have lots of them that are going through the study right now. It's not too late to jump in. We just went through the first week. Uh, Or if you're looking for something smaller than that, you just want to be paired up with somebody to go through, reach out to me. I'd love to connect you. Mike at allsoulsfellowship.org. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, no prohibition, no limitation. Everywhere in the Bible that, that we see God talking about or showing what the impact of God's presence and work in the world is, we see lists like this, the fruit of the Spirit, the work of God, the power of God, the impact of God. And what kind of story does it tell? What happens when God shows up in power? Well, we all attend church more often. Or we start being able to argue appropriately our apologetics and our side of the theology coin against our enemies. We criticize people the right way. What happens? Life comes. The fruit of the Spirit comes. Joy, gladness, healing. Peace, patience, transformation, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. When God shows up, people are changed, and the world is changed around us. I had the occasion in the last couple of weeks to meet uh, with two uh, different students who were in our youth ministry here back when I was the youth pastor. Uh, and neither one of them is attending church now. Uh, they don't consider themselves believers a ringing endorsement for my tenure as the youth pastor. Um, 
I meet with them. In part, they wanted to meet with me, but also their parents or friends or people were nudging them and saying, there's a lot going on in your life. Why don't you find somebody to go talk to about what's going on? And uh, they were a little hesitant, but then they showed up and they were excited. By the end, they said they were glad that they were able to meet with me, that kind of thing. But as we got talking, the first question I posed to them is, why are we here? What was your interest in getting together with me? What's going on in your life? Uh, they talked about problems they were facing in their relationships. Uh, they talked about their internal reality, what was going on, what they were feeling and thinking about. They talked about what was going on with people around them. They talked about hardships in their relationships, suffering, pain, division, anger, bitterness. They talked about a lack of joy, a lack of peace, a lack of kindness, a lack of self-control that was plaguing their life. Uh, so then I asked them, well, you know, if you want to talk about that stuff, that's stuff I've talked with you about in the past. You know, why were you hesitant to come and talk this time? And both of them said, well, I was afraid, one, that you were going to judge me. You're going to judge me in my, my failures. And then two, and this made me laugh, they said, I was afraid you were going to try to convert me. Get me to come back to church. Give me to sing the songs, and I don't really want to do that. I don't want to sing songs and memorize verses. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. What, what's revealed in their hearts is, is really, for me, who is a believer, it's not really all that different from my own heart. You see, we have a tendency to think that the business of God is to make us religious, right? To download the right thoughts so that we have the right categories of thinking and believing and valuing so we can judge appropriately the people around us. So that when somebody messes up and we judge them, we can do it accurately and precisely and effectively. Or on the other hand, we think that, that, that this, the songs that we sing, the, the verses, the, the teaching, the, the, the tools of studying, the spiritual disciplines, we think, well, that's what God wants. He just wants to conform us to create some... Uh, some some spiritual religious exercise on the side like for people who well i have a wellness initiative now right i'm practicing mindfulness i'm taking care of myself wellness wednesday kind of thing it's just an extra dimension that you could have if you want and god has a version of it and it's more or less better or worse than some of the other options out there pick and choose is that all that god is about here no god is about humans creation He's about changing and restoring and healing us. And when God shows up in your life and in the world, he brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is what we are doing here in this, this sermon this morning. It's what we're doing here this summer. But if we're really following him, and we're really being followers of Jesus, not just religious people. This is what's happening all the time. We are coming to ask, what kind of person does God want to make me? How does he want to free me, change me, transform my life, fill it with love, with joy, with peace, patience, kindness? Again, the thing that just has struck me, and I've said it every sermon uh, the last year, righteousness is right relationships. God came to fix you in your relationship with yourself, in your relationship with him, in your relationship with other people, to make you whole for his glory 
to see his power and his goodness, the bigness of his design, and for your joy. We're going to look at joy this morning. This last week, uh, as I was preparing, I heard a, a pastor talk about the difference uh, in what's being painted here, the difference between moral reformation and spiritual transformation. Right? It's not the, 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 fruit, the moral fruit of, of moral attention or commitment, but the spiritual transformation, the fruit of the Spirit. There's something supernatural at work here. You see, moral reformation can produce some of this fruit here. Right? There's, a, there's a great deal of, of self-control that has been born out of a desire to please somebody else because that their, our, our idol, our value is making them happy. There's a great deal of, of kindness and gentleness that's been born out of our social norms, especially here in the South. There's a great deal of pride that is motivated, a great deal of what looks like goodness and what looks like love. But moral reformation, change on the outside, isn't the same as spiritual transformation. This list of love, joy, peace, patience, there's external and internal components, just like we saw last week. Love is more than a feeling. More than a feeling. It's not less than a feeling, but it's so much more than a feeling. Okay? It's this internal commitment, a feeling, a resolution, a thought to will the good of somebody else, to do something, to seek their well-being. Joy similarly has an internal and an external component that we're going to see here. But moral transformation, I think about this picture mostly because it makes me laugh. It won't make you laugh, but it makes me laugh. We think about transformation, right? We want our life to be different and better. Uh, And it's like our, our life is a garden and we're supposed to bear fruit in it. Well, for most of us, we go over to Sprouts, we pick out some produce, we bring it back, and we throw it on the ground and we say, look at my garden. Isn't the soil great? And we are bearing this fruit of just trying to look the part and do the right thing. Worse, we impress this upon other people. Fake it till you make it. Like it or not, that's kind of the story that we tell our kids or we tell our neighbors. Man, if you would just conform, maybe then you would be transformed. But the fruit of the Spirit is born when we root ourselves in Jesus. When our faith and our thoughts and our feelings and our actions are rooted in who he is, how he is, what he's done, what he will do. When we root ourselves in Jesus, we do, our lives become like a plant. It doesn't mean we're going to bear fruit all the time, as we'll see this morning. There's times when we're going to be dormant, where things are going to be hard where the harvest is being prepared. It's like that winter time when the leaves are gone, the fruit's nowhere to be found. We're going to face some of those times, as we'll see. But season after season, we will bear fruit if we're rooted in him. The transformation of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, will come and you will be made new. This morning, we're going to look at the internal and external components of joy, seeing what it is that that Jesus would have us understand about the joy that he offers us. Turn in your worship guide or in your Bibles to John chapter 16, as we look at verses 16 through 24. And Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. 
At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. And Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. No one will take away your joy. And in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. But very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Pray with me. God, there's not one of us in this room that doesn't want to bear fruit, that doesn't want to taste and see of your goodness, to have these things that you offer to us and to bear this kind of fruit in the world. But God, we admit there's a great many distractions and things that would beckon us and call us to fake it, that would, that would ask for our attention and energy and commitment to root ourselves in them apart from you. Lord, would you dig us up? By your power of your spirit, would you root us in who you are and how you are, that we would see you, and that our grief would turn to joy. We ask these things with the confidence that you'll grant us what we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen. What is joy? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. All right, so you didn't laugh, which means maybe you weren't here last week where we started with what is love. Maybe you don't hear me. Or maybe we just need a little bit more coffee. Uh, David's chuckling. All right. What is joy? Uh, there's a great Disney cartoon. Maybe you've seen it. Inside Out. Have you seen it, AJ? Kenley, I know you've seen it. Aylin, have you seen it? Inside Out. Zion, I see that hand. There's a great movie called Inside Out. It's about emotions. There's a character, a teenage girl who's grown up in the world. She goes through a big move. And her emotions are personified. There are characters in the movie representing each one of her emotions. Anger, sadness, fear, and the main character, joy. And joy is annoying. You see, joy has this perkiness, this positivity, this essence of happiness. She's always looking on the bright side of things. And she goes through the movie making things worse. Over and over again, when there's a time to be angry or a time to be sad or a time to be afraid, instead, joy steps in. Deny those feelings. i got to be in control. And the movie teaches, and I, I, don't, I don't know if this fits with, it probably fits with the, what the Bible teaches. Uh, maybe you would know better than me. But it says that joy was the first emotion, so she's the one who should be in charge, right? She's the one who should direct things. At the end of the day, she's the one who's going to know best. And, and the Bible, Proverbs 8, says that God 
had joy when he created the world. So maybe he did create us in that joy. Maybe joy is first. But because she was created first and because of her disposition, she wrecks everything. Because she's inflexible and cannot give control to anyone else. She's afraid. Joy is afraid. What will happen to the kid if anything else takes the wheel? But what she learns in the movie is that if a human is going to grow up and navigate life's hardships, grow into maturity, the other emotions have to have a turn at the wheel. Similarly for us, as, as we encounter the world and grow up, many of us experience a great joy and exuberance when we were younger. Like maybe you were, I'm sure your parents or somebody could tell a story of some point in time, maybe it was when you got ice cream, where you were filled with joy. For me and my kids, anytime we talk about going to get a treat or we talk about friends coming over to swim or whatever it is, there's this joy that, that wells up inside of them, this inner giddiness that does lead to dancing, to laughing, that there's an internal and external expression of it. But for us, as we grow up and we face the hardships and the realities of life, something happens to that joy. We realize that joy isn't enough to help us navigate the world. And now you can think about a neighbor or a coworker, somebody you've encountered who has that perkiness, that happiness, who can't enter into the hard or real conversations, and they are annoying. Sometimes. But the Bible makes the point over and over again that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That the kingdom of God, Romans 14 says, is righteousness, peace, and joy. That Jesus looks at his suffering on the cross and he experiences satisfaction and joy. That the reason that Jesus comes into the world to take on our suffering and our death, to be betrayed by sin and brokenness, to be forsaken and cast out, is for the joy that was set before him. To be a source of life and joy. To become the ground that we root ourselves in by faith. That he might bear his joy in us. As we look at our text this morning, there's three ideas I want us to look at. Three things that Jesus is teaching us. So consider these headings as we go through. One, the joy of Jesus is inevitable. It's inevitable. Two, the joy of Jesus is indomitable. Not abominable, but indomitable. I googled it. It fit the alliteration. I'll explain it when we get there. And then finally, joy is intentional. So the joy of Jesus is inevitable. It's indomitable. It's intentional. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is inevitable. Jesus, speaking of his own death and resurrection here, says to the disciples, you are not going to see me. I'm going to be gone. And you're going to have grief. After a little while, you're going to see me again. And as the world rejoices as you grieve, then your grief will be turned into joy. When you see me again, you will have joy. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Jesus says when you see me, you will have joy. Romans 14, the kingdom is joy. God's in the business of bringing joy. Joy is inevitable. 
Joy is the experience of, of seeing something outside of yourself. Have you ever seen uh, Brene Brown talks a lot about this? Uh, joy requires vulnerability. Uh, joy is not something you can conjure up on the inside. You cannot create your own joy. That's not what joy is. Your heart is like a cup. And when you experience something good and beautiful and wonderful, it comes into that cup. That's the joy. It comes into you. And then it overflows. You get enough joy in you, you're going to wiggle. You're going to dance. Jesus says that the joy of the kingdom is inevitable. You. Not some of you. Uh, not you on, on just your best days. Not you if you live up to the standard. Not you who write, uh, rightly judge the right things, who attend church often enough. Not, not you. You're the ones who are going to have joy. He says, you. You, the people who are suffering. You, the people who are afraid. You, the people who have grief. You. Because the kingdom is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's inevitable. Then he says, you will have joy. You will. When you see me. Not you will have joy at the end. You will have joy when, when heaven and earth meet again. You will have joy when your circumstances are going the right way. You will have joy if you have a sunny disposition. He says, you will have joy. You'll have it when you see me. The Christian life is all about seeing Jesus and being rooted in him. Last week, we talked about love, and Jesus says, do you understand what I've done for you? Because if you understand it, if you see it, that's what will change you. If you want to have joy, you got to look at something beautiful. you got to look at something joyful. And ultimately, you got to look at Jesus to receive the joy he has for you. The kingdom is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is inevitable. So then where's your joy? The Bible talks an awful lot about joy, and yet we miss out on it all the time. We lose sight of it all the time. Why? In the context of this, this gardening analogy, it's because we're rooting ourselves in something else. If the joy of the kingdom is inevitable and you don't have joy, it's because something else is getting in the way. Something else is eclipsing it. Something else uh, is taking hold of the roots. For me, insecurity, fear, could be all kinds of different things. I I told the story in the first service about in my life, I was one of those people. I went to a, I went to a, I went to a Presbyterian church that was so Presbyterian Five years after I was there, they were the only Presbyterian church left in their denomination. They kicked everybody else out because nobody else was conforming. And they were a denomination of one. I went to that kind of church, and that's what's wired in me. This great deal of insecurity about who I am and how I'm doing and how I'm living up to things. And so i got to make myself feel better because i got to put everybody else around me down. If I take any time to consider how I'm doing, I'm going to be wrecked. And so it's so much easier to deny myself, not to look at my life, but to consider and judge the people around me. You see, far too often our idea about spiritual maturity in the church, uh, it's not telling the whole story. All right? The fruit of the Spirit is not accurately judging other people. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and restoration. It's setting people free. But that's not what we, what we do. And so you go along, and life is okay. You're rooted in Jesus. You're looking to him. And then all of a sudden, your roots just start to grow into something else. Man, it feels really good when I do love people. Everybody starts appreciating me. So now I'm rooted in that. I need that a little bit more. It started because God loves me, but now it's all about me. The joy of the kingdom is inevitable. This is what spiritual maturity looks like. For you to have joy. You don't have to memorize all the VBS songs. They are joyful. You don't have to do that. You got to have Jesus, and Jesus will bring joy. So friends, is your life marked by this inevitable joy? How does joy fit into your concept of spiritual maturity, what you're striving for? What God wants to do in your life this week, whatever challenge you're facing, whatever opportunity is there, how does joy fit in? Is it possible that you're taking the fruit of the Spirit? This is important. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't say some of you will have this one and some of you will have that one, but the fruit, singular, is all of these things, multidimensional, multifaceted. Is it possible that you've limited the fruit of the Spirit and God's picture for maturity in your life to just a handful of things? Do you know that joy is inevitable? Jesus says, when you see me, you will have joy. Joy is indomitable, not abominable. Indomitable means it can't be dominated. It can't be subdued. It cannot be overwhelmed. It cannot be taken. It could be eclipsed for a time. It could seem uh, like it's on the brink. It's on the edge. It could feel like it's risked. It's almost lost. And then just like any good story, it triumphs. You see, the joy is indomitable. All the pain, all the suffering, all the evil, all the sin in the world that is done by me or done to me, all of that is the lie. All of that is temporary. All of that has an expiration date because joy is indomitable. Verse 20, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. The last verse, verse uh, 24, 26 says, and your joy will be complete. Our joy is indomitable. It cannot be overwhelmed or overtaken. How can that be true? Well, the picture that Jesus paints in the story that the Bible tells is that our joy isn't lost when our circumstances change. It's not lost uh, when we experience suffering, when we experience grief in ourselves or in the people around us. It's, it's not lost when the bad guys start to take the lead. It's not lost when your worst fears start to come true. It's not lost. It's always there, and it will prevail. When you see me, you will have joy. Your grief will turn to joy. The indomitable joy of Jesus can coexist with sorrow, 
with suffering, with pain. It can lose the lead, it seems like, seem to be lost, go on the brink, and triumph still. You see, it's not just joy that's inevitable, but Jesus teaches that on this side of heaven, so is pain. So is suffering. The context of him promising them joy, a few verses earlier, he said, you will be killed, and the people who murder you will think they just did something for God. You will be persecuted. You experience trouble, I experience trouble. The world hated me, it's going to hate you. You're selling a different story. You're rooting yourself in a different place. You're bearing a different fruit. So he promises that there will be hardships, sorrow, suffering. That every place that is not rooted in him cannot bear fruit. But the joy, the holiness, the power of the kingdom is indomitable and will prevail. You see, Jesus isn't doing his best Eeyore impression here. He's not just gloomy and sad. His disciples accused him of that. Peter says to Jesus, hey, that's not good for the brand to talk about the death part. Like, don't talk about that. May it never be. And don't wash my feet. And don't tell other people, like, He's got, a, he's got a brand and image problem. But Jesus is here. It's just being honest. And, and in his honesty, in his openness with them, he's inviting them in. He's inviting us in to immense power, inevitable joy, indomitable joy. The analogy he uses here is of a woman giving birth, saying that in the hour of her pain and suffering, she forgets her anguish and sorrow because of the joy of the baby that is born into the world. I've witnessed the birth of three children in my life, thankfully all my own. And there's one story in particular. Now, Meredith could tell you stories about the birth of our children, and, but when she tells you I was watching TV and sleeping and going to McDonald's, that was well before the hour when the baby was getting ready to come, Okay. But after waiting around some like 11 hours or so the first time, when we got to the second time, Kenley, uh, we, were, we were like, well, let's wait at home. We know we're just going to wait when we get there. Let's wait at home a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Well, then we got in the car and we finally got there. Well, then we got there and they didn't have a room. And so we had to wait in the lobby a little longer. And she's like, go talk. Just like the disciples here. What does he mean by saying this? You ask him. No, you ask him. Well, Meredith was like, hey, you go get a room. I'm like, well, I tried to get a room. You go get a room. And so, so finally, after enough complaining, uh, not mine, probably, but then the doctor came in, her, her doctor, and, and the doctor was like, hey, really, like, let's, we need to help them out. So they got us a room, and we get in there, and here comes the nurse. And it's all, you know, I'm halfway through my shift. Here we go. This is ordinary. You know, have you, have you been sick recently? They're checking us in. Have you been out of the country? All this stuff. And we're like, hey, can you check? We've been at this a long time. We think the hour may be here. So they're moseying on over. They're like, well, one last thing. What's your email? We want to send a survey. Then they come over and they check. And then the alarm went off. <laughs> Literally, they sounded an alarm. I heard it out in the lobby. All the nurse stations, we get like 10 people rush into the room. And then they come in and two of the nurses, one goes, where's the doctor? They're like, we don't know where the doctor is. Are you going to deliver the baby? 
are you going to deliver the baby? And I'm sitting over there, who's going to deliver the baby? <laughs> and in that moment of time, because of the urgency that was happening, Meredith was getting ready to have a, a biblical birth, meaning no epidural. And the doctors and the nurses were trying to persuade her, it's too late, you're past the point of no return, and, and, and so we think you're strong enough, you can do it without it. And she goes, I'm not. <laughs> so, but in that moment, and this pain, the suffering that she's enduring, I'm trying to hold her hand, I'm trying to comfort her, I feel a little bit bad for not yelling louder, making more of a scene, getting to the hospital sooner, all these things. And I'm holding her hand, and then waves of pain come, and she turns away. And I have never experienced any pain like that myself or, or in anyone around me. I was terrified. And she would turn away, and I would start to back up, you know, go to the dad zone with the TV and the chair. And then I'm back there, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't fix this. And then I would get a little bit closer and hold her hand again, and it happened again, and we just kept going through this. And then the anesthetologist showed up, and then everything was great. <laughs> Jesus says that in our life, the pain, the suffering that is possible in this world, the sorrow and grief, is like something you can't imagine. There is immense grief and brokenness that is possible in this world. But take heart. Because when you see him, your grief will turn to joy. The pain has an expiration date. The sorrow has an expiration date. The suffering, the sin, the brokenness, that's not what's going to last. The phrase here says she forgets her pain. When the baby is born, she forgets her pain. And the Greek is so much better because the Greek says she remembers not. She didn't forget the pain she just went through. In fact, the pain is going to continue on the rest of that day, the uncomfortability through the, the next day and the weeks after that. But she remembers it not. Why? Because the indomitable joy that new life has come into the world. Jesus looks at his suffering, Isaiah 53 says, and he is satisfied with the joy, even in the pain. Because the indomitable joy of Jesus can coexist with the pain because the joy is what wins out. There's two applications we got to make from this point right here. There's one internal, restoring right relationship with yourself, and then one external in the way we deal with relationships with other people. The first, you will grieve. You will. You can deny it. You can laugh it off. You could turn to try to ignore it like the world does, turn into drink or some other pleasure, run away from it. But it's still there. And because that pain and that grief and that reality is in your life, it's going to come out because you are rooted in it. Unless you turn, you stop denying and running away. I could have left the room, but the pain was still going to be there. 
we got to turn into our pain. We got to acknowledge it. We got to confess it. We got to identify it. We got to sit and see it so that in that pain, we can see Jesus and the grief will turn to joy. Friends, if you don't have people to sit with you and listen to you as you go through that to process, we got some here. Let's plug in. Let's, let's connect. Let's do this. But then there's a second part. You know, St. Augustine said, how can you know God when you are far from yourself? How can you know the things of God when you don't know what you, what you want? You don't know what fruit you're bearing. You don't know what pain you have. How can you know healing when you don't know you're sick? And similarly, the Bible teaches, how can we know, enter in, be around the pain of somebody else when we don't know our own pain? Like this invitation not to deny your anger, sadness, fear, grief, and loss, it's not an invitation to morbidity. It's an invitation to transformation, to be rooted in Jesus and his hope for you, this indomitable joy, so that in your life, you can be fertile ground for the people around you. Yesterday, our country celebrated Juneteenth and the emancipation of the slaves in the 19th century. And it happened this week that the, the federal government made Juneteenth a federal holiday. And that's in light, in part, because of the... the what happened in the world this last year. The reality of racism and injustice being thrust to the forefront of our consciousness once again for those of us who don't have to live it every day. But what was the reaction? What was the reaction uh, in your heart? The reaction of the church? You see, I, and I'm going to talk about the church and you're going to know who I'm talking about, but I'm also talking about myself. Because this is my own messed up heart. To look and see the grief and the pain of somebody else, just like when I looked at Meredith in the bed, I don't understand this. I don't know how to relate. I don't know how to fix it. Maybe it's not true. And there are so many people in the church that went that way this last year to deny it. And it's still happening. And all we're doing is making it worse. Like joy, trying to keep control. And so, friends, the, the fruit of joy, the spiritual maturity that God desires to bring in your life when we are rooted in Him, is this acknowledgement and honesty of the pain and the suffering in your own heart and in the lives of the people around you. To not deny it, to not try to fix it and make it worse but to be present and wait and watch and listen and be in faith, waiting for God to turn the suffering, the grief, into joy. For our brothers and sisters of color and for anybody who is suffering in the world, there is an hour, the time is at hand, the suffering is continuing, and we pray and we wait and we work and we long when the new life comes and that grief can turn into joy. The joy of the kingdom, the joy of the spirit 
The fruit of the Spirit that is joy is inevitable and it's indomitable and it's intentional. The last thing here is this. Over and over again in this passage, Jesus is saying, see me. If you see me, it'll be different. You're not going to see me, it's going to get worse. But then you're going to see me and it gets better because when you see me, The invitation here is to see Jesus. And it takes a little work. It takes a holy imagination, not to deny suffering, but to acknowledge and confess it. Not to deny sin, but to acknowledge and confess it. And a holy imagination to see him heal it. You see, friends, as believers who believe in sin and brokenness, we shouldn't be denying the experience of sin and brokenness that anybody else has, not even ourselves, not even when we've done it to ourselves. We should see it, feel it, hurt, and say, yeah, that sounds like sin. But I know someone who can do something about it. To look in faith and expectantly waiting for joy in this holy imagination to see him come and to heal it, see me. Every day, you're waking up, you're thinking about your life. Just like those teenagers. What's right, what's wrong, how to make it better. See him. Root yourself in him. See him. Practice the gospel. See him. He delighted to suffer for you. See him. He's healing every wrong. See him. He's breaking every chain. See him. See him. When you see him, you will have joy. The second thing that we need to do to see him, root ourselves in him, is to practice gratitude. A Franciscan monk by the name of David Stendhal Rast, he said, it's not joy that makes us grateful, but gratitude that makes us joyful. There's a practice of gratitude. It's not an attitude of gratitude. You can't pretend. Do the work. Tend the soil. Count your blessings. Take every thought captive. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is worthy, whatever is without the express written consent of Major League Baseball, I can't, whatever comes at the end of that, whatever that list is, that's the invitation. Practice gratitude and joy will come. Root yourself in his goodness. He'll bear the fruit of joy in your life. You will remember not your pain. Your sorrow and grief will turn to joy. And in me, Jesus says, your joy will be complete. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples in the upper room. Just a little while after he was teaching here in John 16, a little while after this meal, he goes to the garden. He says, my soul is overcome with anguish and sorrow. His hour had come. And what he says is that in this death, in his brokenness, in his pain, his joy is unleashed for you. So if your faith is in him and not your circumstances, if you believe in that inevitable joy that he offers, Come and feast with us this morning.
As we come to the table, let us pray the prayer of thanksgiving together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Jesus, with his disciples, took bread, and after giving thanks, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, my anguish, which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. In the same way, he took the cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he blessed it and gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So together we proclaim the mystery of the faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Because of his grief and his anguish, new life is birthed in us. Take and eat the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.